So every now and then, um, I like to make uh, you all feel a little bit better about yourselves by kind of sharing my own misgivings. So here goes another round of things that I have done recently to make you say, oh, it's okay if I mess up or don't do all the things or even fail miserably. Um, so my youngest came home Tuesday to say, Mom, didn't you say you ordered me a yearbook? They handed them out in class and everyone got one but me. I would have bet money that I ordered said yearbook, but after filing through all of the emails, logging into all of the accounts that I can remember, I'm not sure why every school has to have a different system for getting a yearbook, um, but all I could come up with was a receipt for my middle child's yearbook, so my youngest and my oldest are out of luck. Then I get a letter from the IRS. Yeah, this one's fun. Um, that said I owed a pretty good chunk. Um, check with my accountant who says that apparently I didn't pay for my September estimate for 2021. Again, I file through all the things. I see where I wrote the check. I have the date I wrote the check. I have the check number, but apparently it never cleared. So lost in the mail, I guess. Um, I was telling this to someone at church this past week who shall remain nameless, but they work as the finance person here. <laughs> And when I was telling them the story, their immediate response was, so you don't reconcile your receipts, I guess. That helped a lot. <laughs> and then Thursday morning, after everyone had already left for school and work, I get a reminder that today is the day that I was supposed to send in the check for my middle child summer basketball league. I had next Thursday written down on the calendar for said check to be written and due. I texted with two of my mom friends who were also clergy, and I shared these stories, and they kind of texted back some of their stories, and I said, I knew it would be good for my soul to text you two. Sharing stories is good for our soul. And today we share a story about Jesus gathering at table with his disciples to say goodbye. Now we've jumped a little bit backward in the story. Um, this is no post-resurrection account, but a story we share because it's good for our soul to remember that during those weeks when we are too easily and often reminded of the ways we have messed up or the things we have forgotten, um, to remember that we believe in a God who became flesh and walked among us that we believe in a God that we meet in Jesus Christ. In John 14, is Jesus saying, there will be hard days, there will be hard things, but in those days, remember me. Remember you are not alone. So I'm going to be reading from John 14, verses 15 through 27. So another fun story about that. The bulletin says we'll be going through verse 39. Fun fact, there is no John 14, 39. <laughs> and the passage in the bulletin goes on longer than I'm going to read, just so you know. Um, and as we prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your words be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your words be known. In the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. 
So reading from John 14, verses 15 through 27. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> We've been using lines each week um, from a piece that I shared Easter Day entitled Transformation to kind of help us think through the good news of resurrection. And today, three more lines. The living, risen Christ awakens that which is asleep in us, names that which is still formless within us, empowers that which is newborn within us. In other words, the living, risen Christ carries us. I began by kind of naming um, myths from my own life, and I know on like the big up here scale of things in the world, they were not life or death type things, and maybe really not even that big of a deal, um, but they were significant to me. And significant things um, in our lives, whether they are big or small, um, they matter. Um, I need a Christ who meets me in the little things and who carries me in the big things. We saw this the past two Sundays with the resurrected Christ coming as one who had been wounded um, to meet and enter the wounds of Thomas. And last week, Peter, releasing Peter from his own doubt and fear, cleansing Peter, renewing Peter's faith. Today, there isn't a particular disciple from that story of Jesus gathering with his disciples in John 14. There's not a particular disciple that I want to pinpoint, but rather there are these characters throughout the Gospel of John that I kind of want to lift up. People who encounter Christ, and that encounter changes them. They're characters in the Gospel that I love and whose stories aid me with my own faith. So there's Nicodemus, whose faith evolves throughout the Gospel of John. 
We first meet him in the third chapter of John. He is one who comes to Jesus in the night, searching, seeking, asking questions. He's not really sure about any of it, really. And he and Jesus have a conversation. And toward the end of the conversation, Nicodemus just kind of fades into the background, and we get the feeling that he's still seeking. He's still searching. He's still questioning. We find him again about the middle of the gospel. He comes to Jesus' defense as Jesus teaches at the temple during the festival of booths. And then he shows up one more time at the very end of the gospel as he and Joseph of Arimathea take the body of Jesus and follow the burial customs of the Jewish faith. A man who comes to Jesus seeking, well, I don't even know if he knows what he's seeking. But Jesus awakens something in him, and we see Nicodemus continually empowered throughout the gospel to live into, even if in these small baby steps, that to which Jesus calls. And then immediately following this story of Nicodemus, we meet the Samaritan woman at the well. One of my favorite stories in all of scripture See, she and Jesus meet at the watering hole at noon, and much has been made about this unnamed woman. She was there at noon because she had a reputation, and she was trying to avoid people. I think there are, is more emphasis in this story placed on her story than on Jesus. But there's some truths to her story that we cannot ignore. She was a Samaritan, and the hate between Jews and Samaritans ran deep. To say they did not get along puts it mildly, and she was female. This interaction should have never taken place, but it did. And by the end of the conversation, the woman is so excited by and so consumed with Jesus, she gets up, she completely forgets to take her watering jug, she goes back to the city, and she boldly and publicly preaches, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. And many Samaritans from the city believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. You jump ahead to chapter 9, and you meet a man born blind. And the question is raised, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus says neither. The man is healed, and there is this extremely long back-and-forth story that occurs between Jesus, the man born blind, his parents, people who are angry that he can see again, the man is questioned multiple times about Jesus, and my favorite line from the man is this. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. The last words we hear from this man come as Jesus searches him out after all the commotion, and the man says, Lord, I believe. Finally, in John chapter 11, we meet Mary and Martha in their grief over the death of their brother Lazarus. Jesus comes, calls Lazarus by name, and Lazarus is raised from the dead. Now, there's much in all of these stories, I mean sermons in each of these stories, many places they could lead, but ultimately, for me, 
First and foremost, they, they aren't stories about a man struggling to believe or a woman who emerges from the shadows to boldly preach in the city or a man born blind who is healed and sought by Jesus or even one who is raised from the dead. They are stories about the difference that Jesus makes in that moment, in their lives, in their days. The truth that Jesus meets us where we are, as we are, and literally all we have to do, the only thing is lean into the love that is Jesus and let that love carry us. The living, risen Christ awakens that which is asleep in us, names that which is still formless within us, empowers that which is newborn within us. So let me go back to those parenting and money management fail stories, um, of which there are many more. But I was texting with another friend this week, and we were again sharing stories back and forth, and she sent me this. She said, I took a trauma-informed parenting course, and the trainer said that studies show parents only have to get it right 30% of the time to make a positive impact on their kids. Just 30%. Surely you and I are doing that much. That last line she sent me, I thought was gold. Surely you and I are doing that much. It's an affirmation, but also kind of a question, right? Surely, surely we're getting 30% right. The comfort that Jesus gives or strives to give his disciples in those last moments as he's gathered at table with them is this. You don't have to get 100% right. You don't even have to get 30% right. All you have to do is lean into my love and grace and let that love carry you. John 14 reminds us of the difference Jesus makes in all the little and big moments of our days, of our lives. And Jesus doesn't try to act like there won't be hard things or hard days. John 14 may take us backward in the story for this season, but John 14 points us ahead by giving us the way we are to live in light of Christ's resurrection. I will not leave you orphaned, Christ says. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. John is the gospel that ends this meal with Jesus washing his disciples' feet and with Jesus calling his disciples friends. I give you a new commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. 
as I was thinking through this sermon, I had a friend of mine that uh, posted uh, a quote from Bob Goff's book, Everybody Always, and it just fit in so perfectly. It said, what if we found out that God's big plan for our lives is that we wouldn't spend so much of our time trying to figure out a big plan for our lives? Perhaps God just wants us to love God and love each other. Jesus says, friends, let me wash your tired, weary, dirty feet. Let me share love. Let me be love. Let me offer love so that you may go forth washed in love. Let that love carry you. And trust me, this love will be enough. I want to close with words from Psalm 67 found in Nan Merrill's book, Psalms for Praying. Allow this to kind of be a prayer that we lift to God today. The beloved is gracious to us, a loving presence within us. The radiant one shines in us. Oh, that love's way would be lived throughout the earth, love's abiding power embraced by all the nations. May the people ever rejoice in you, singing songs of appreciation for all that you, O oh beloved, freely give to us. Let the nations listen and heed. We are called to live with integrity and justice. For you, O oh blessed counselor, will guide every nation on earth as the leaders and people open their hearts and respond. Abandoning ourselves into the heart of love, we need not worry or fret. For love's grace abides wherever we are. In love, let us make our home. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.